The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. In terms of word count, I would set a weekly word count for myself. I had a weekly word count for myself because daily word counts like never quite worked for me because some days I'd some days I wouldn't be able to hit it and I was very disappointed in myself and it kind of ruined me for the next day. And so I realized a workaround was making a weekly word count because I could kind of ebb and flow um, and have ups and downs throughout the week. But if I made it to that number by Sunday night, I was happy. And I started, I was a Monday through Sunday. It was how I thought of my week. So that that was the best. And I guess if my, my best writing day would be a, a really good Sunday when I was at the end of my little weekly cycle and I exceeded what I wanted. I exceeded my expectations. That was the best, like a Sunday afternoon. And welcome back to The Writer Files. This is your humble host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Journalist, hit entertainment podcaster, and debut novelist Bobby Finger spoke to me about writing for Jezebel, turning a screenplay into a novel, and his debut, The Old Place. Bobby Finger is a writer and co-host of the popular celebrity and entertainment podcast, Who Weekly, the podcast that tells you everything you need to know about celebrities you don't. His debut novel is The Old Place, described as a big-hearted and moving debut novel about a wry, retired school teacher whose decade-old secret threatens to come to light and send shockwaves through her small Texas town. It's been named Washington Post's 10 Noteworthy Books for September, People's Best New Books, Town & Country's 45 Must-Read Books of Fall, New York's 25 Notable New Releases, Kirkus Review's 150 Most Anticipated Fall Books, Lit Hub's Most Anticipated Books of 2022, and many others. New York Times bestselling author Emma Straub said of the book, I loved being inside this skillful novel. Bobby Finger has built a rich world in the old place, and I will think of it every time I make toast. In this file, Bobby and I discussed growing up in a small Texas town, his start in copywriting and freelance journalism, writing screenplays in the margins, becoming a full-time podcaster, how to write autofiction with a twist, what happens when people leave those left behind, and a lot more. Oh, and a quick note, you are listening to episode number 300. I couldn't have done it without listeners like you. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch, and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow 
to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. All right, we are rolling once again on the Writer Files. I'm honored today to be joined by journalist, uh, podcast star, and uh, acclaimed (laughs) debut novelist Bobby Finger is joining us. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this today. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. And for that introduction, it was it was more than I deserve. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I can't wait to talk about your recent um, debut novel, The Old Place, and uh, the reception it's getting, which has been very, very cool to see. And um, yeah, uh, take us back a little bit, as we do with so many authors, um, give us kind of the superhero origins. So um, you've got this amazing uh, podcast about kind of like uh, B-list celebrities on the source <laughs> called Who? Question mark Weekly, um, which is a very, very fun show. I, I got a chance to listen to it for the first time actually and was was uh, actually very much enjoying it. Even though I don't know many of the games, <laughs> it's just like, it's, it's a really funny, almost like you're a fly on the wall of a conversation of some old friends. Um, yeah, that's that's what we hope it sounds like. That's great. Yeah. So kudos on that. And I want to talk a little bit more about that. But yeah, take us back a little bit because you are a journalist and um, have written for some, some acclaimed magazines and have had a column with Slate. But um, yeah, take us take us back a little bit and talk about kind of how you came to uh, become a debut novelist? I came to becoming a debut novelist uh, from, I don't know, from the sides. I, I, it was not direct by any means. I never wanted to be a novelist. I wanted to be a writer. I, I worked in, in advertising as a copywriter after college, and then I moved into you know dabbling in freelance journalism and eventually sort of turned that into full-time journalism when I worked at Jezebel. And then I, I continue to do some freelance pieces, even though I just do the podcast now. But I, like I said, I always wanted to be a writer. And I thought that screenwriting was the was the fiction for me. And I, I studied that in college along with advertising. I loved doing it. I, you know, when it came to storytelling, when it came to fi- fiction writing, that was just, that was my um, medium of choice. Uh, I, I love the structure of screenplays and I was very comfortable as I learned how to do them. I love reading screenplays, but you know, to, to be a screenwriter professionally required a kind of, I don't know, uh, a personality type or a drive that I just didn't have. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it felt like I just didn't, I wasn't all that interested in, you know, taking my chance in Los Angeles. It just seemed like it, it wasn't for me and I would have been miserable. So I veered into copywriting, which, was fine. And it allowed me to have a very rigid, for the most part, I've had some kind of ridiculous jobs that were took up way too much of my time and gave me no downtime. But for the most part, it gives you a pretty decent, if not nine to five, let's say eight to six schedule. So mm-hmm. there was time on the sides for me to just do what I wanted to do creatively, or, you know, that was fulfilling, whether that's freelance journalism, or just writing something on my blog, or, you know, pecking away at a screenplay. That's just for me. And it wasn't until, I guess, by the time I left Jezebel writing, you know, a lot every day, um, just when you are a, I was a senior writer at Jezebel, but I was essentially blogging and it's just so much writing. It is, 
it's quantity. It's it's definitely quality over quantity, but quantity isn't that far behind, if you know what I'm saying. So like, <laughs> mm-hmm. it was just so much churning out stuff. And I guess developing my voice, which I didn't even realize I was doing at the time, but that that's exactly what I was doing. And I was becoming more comfortable with, I guess, my point of view and what stories I liked telling in terms of writing. But after that, I veered full-time into podcasting, which is just speaking. So I left the writing behind. We did some, we did some columns, like you said, for Slate. I was still writing freelance um, outside the podcast, but I moved on to just speaking and then editing Mm -hmm. that, that speaking, you know, like I became an audio engineer because I had to, because someone needed to edit the podcast. So myself and my co-host Lindsay take turns doing all of that. We had to teach ourselves all of that, but um, it wasn't until this story kind of lingered in my mind for a couple of years. I had, I had written it out as a screenplay maybe like seven years ago, six, seven mm. years ago mm-hmm. and put it away as, as I do, because like, what am I going to do with it? I don't care. I was very happy just having done it um, as an exercise or, or whatever. And at some point I saw a book agent who I had mutual friends with and I followed on Twitter because I liked her Twitter and she was very smart and kind of taught me about this publishing world uh, that I didn't know about. I became a pretty big reader in adulthood, um, but I'd never really considered writing novels. Um, I love reading them, but I was just like, oh, you know, that's not for me. That's not anything I was trained in or, you know, went to school for in any way. But at this point, she just said, you know, I'm open to queries, submit a query if you're interested. And I did. And she was just extremely supportive from the jump. And she said, I like the story. I, I want you to write. I want you to write it. Hmm. And um, I wrote a manuscript. And and again, the only reason I think I was able to finish the manuscript when I did is because she gave me a deadline. And I think a lot of that has to do with my journalism background and honestly, my advertising background where it's like the client needs it Friday. Um, your mm-hmm. editor needs it tomorrow by end of day, you know, like I love a deadline. I'm most productive on a deadline and, you know, and then it just, it it moved along, moved along, moved along until it found its way to, to Putnam and, and my editor, Gabby Mongeli there. So yeah, that, that, that's the journey. It's not, it's, it's weird. It's very specific, but I think everyone's Mm -hmm. story, even if it seems kind of common is, is unique in its own way. Yeah. It is interesting that you studied did you study drama at all or just just uh, like screenwriting for just screenwriting um a lot of structure it was a lot of and it was it was but it was structure it was that three act structure um specifically for for film narratives so that yeah. was like you know drilled into us and i sort of had to unlearn a lot of that because it's a completely different medium yeah. but still the story was the same the characters were the same i was just able to have a lot more freedom with it you know kind of shift perspectives as I wanted to and expand all these characters as I wanted to, especially knowing that I couldn't really do that in a film, you know, Mm -hmm. like there wasn't, there isn't the time or the space or I think audience interest in going that hard on all of these like peripheral characters. But I think that's what I kind of enjoy doing the most. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting career path. Um, As you put it, kind of came out fiction and prose kind of from the side, but from the side, yeah. As you mentioned, you you had kind of developed your voice. I know copywriting is a very it's a dark art and it's like oh, a yeah. very specific kind of assuming writing. someone else's voice, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Awful>. Um, <laughs> but it's a science. It really yeah. is a science. I mean, like once you start really getting into it, it's like it kind of you use your brain in a different way. But then yeah, as you said, um, kind of the writing and blogging that you did for Jezebel, 
um, help to kind of hone, hone your voice. And then, yeah, so you're writing the, the fiction in the margins and you really, there's, um, of course, a deadline after you've queried an agent <laughs> to get this manuscript in her yeah. hands, um, which is really cool, really interesting. Story. Uh, yeah, it's very, it's very, it's very weird. Um, but <laughs> you know, it was it was weird times. It was this was this was mid twenty twenty. So mm-hmm. you know, there was uh, nothing was going right. <laughs> yeah, know? and so you had a little more time. I had a little more time. Yeah, um, to do it, and and that's interesting because I've heard so many authors talk about how they could not write during that first year of the p- pandemic, like they were just getting nothing done because of, it was so stressful for everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Congrats on the reception of the old place. I thought it was very cool that your um, peer, Emma Straub, blurred the book. She said, I loved being inside this skillful novel at the planning parties for church fundraisers, learning to drive with a can of beer in the cup holder <laughs> in the heads of some wonderfully tangy old Texan ladies. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, such a generous blurb. I love that blurb so much. Emma is so cool. And yeah. she, she is such a treasure. Um, I was very sad to hear about the passing of her father. I know. I was. I just feel so lucky. I got to meet him at her last book event, oh, and wow. I just, it just feels so special that I was able to do that. Yeah, yeah. And he was truly a gifted, a gifted uh, writer in his own right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, congrats. I mean, the book's been named uh, Wash Post, uh, ten noteworthy books for September. Uh, Town and Country's 45 must read books for fall and many, many <laughs> others. And, and the uh, reviews have been stunning. Uh, Washington Post said, 
reading Finger's playful portrait of the denizens of a small southern town, embracing and forgiving their many flaws feels like laughing with your best friend while sipping sweet tea on the back porch. And, may, and maybe also they listen to your podcast too, because it kind of has a similar feel. Do you drink sweet tea? I used to drink sweet tea. Now I drink unsweet mm. tea. I've, mm-hmm. I've, you know, I've grown up. I've grown away from the sweets. You know, you've really, you've but really matured. I've matured, <laughs> but yeah, I used to drink like so much sweet tea. It was, it was nuts. I mean, it was. It, I think of it as a very weekend drink. Like my mom would always mm. make huge pitchers of sweet tea on Saturdays and Sundays. Okay, um, and unsweet tea because she always preferred unsweet tea. But I didn't get into that picture until i was a little older <laughs> i see <laughs> um we'll talk about the origins kind of the seeds of inspiration for the old place and um yeah how you set h- how you kind of came to decide that it would be billington texas would be the, the setting for this uh story so i grew up in a very small town in texas um not unlike billington texas in fact it's it is modeled kind of perfectly off of the town I grew up in, Dehennis, um, physically, geographically. I just changed the names because I everything is everything is Dehennis except the names of the town and the name of the the the, the close neighboring town, Trevino, which is based off of Hondo, Texas. Mm. Um, because I I was creating this like fictional community and these fictional people, but it was all inspired by this town where I grew up and that my, my whole dad's side of the family is from where the fingers are from. And I needed to create a little bit of distance. So I was like, I'm going to keep, this is Dehennis and I'm happy to say that it's Dehennis, but if I'm going to write a a fictional story about a fictional place and fictional people in it, I needed to have a fake name. So, Mm. (laughs) and I gave it specifically a name that is not even close to Dehennis. It's not German. It's just kind of rant. It's just, it's a completely different (laughs) town name. Um, But I, have had like kind of a complicated relationship um, towards this town for so long since we moved away when I was 13 to San Antonio, which is, I guess, to use the the phrase, like just far enough away to feel far enough away, about 90 miles, 80 miles. And um, I used to be ashamed of being from that town. I used to not like telling people I was from that town. Over time, I got over it. And I came to see it as like, you know, just a fact of who I am and like, you know, where my family is from. But it, that relationship with the town never really stopped evolving. Um, and it's a town that I never stopped thinking about. Um, mm. I never stopped thinking about how my life would have been different had I not grown up there, had, my, had I not left when I was 13, had I left when I was 18, like a lot of the characters in the novel, like my siblings did. Um, how my life would be different if I moved back now. You know, like, how would people change? Um, and those sorts of uh, hypotheticals have never really stopped ringing ever since I moved away, even now, you know, over 20 years later, 25 years hmm. later, almost. And um, I, I, because it's a story, because it's like a, a scenario that's so close to my heart, it's the story that I wanted to tell because it's one that I've been telling, in a sense, to myself for so long, just like, all of these different ways it could have gone and what happens when people leave and what happens to the people they leave behind, which is, I think, more about what the old place is about. Like, what happens to everyone who remains there, you know, after this horrible thing happens or these people leave in these, like, extremely, um, I don't know, earth-shattering ways? Uh, how does everyone cope? And uh, eventually it just became the old place. Yeah. 
talk a little bit about how you decided. Uh, so, so it is semi-autobiographical in a sense. Yeah, in terms of place, it's definitely autobiographical. Yeah. Um, but talk a little bit about how you structured the novel, uh, how you decided um, to kind of use flashback as a as a device, and um, yeah, a little bit about kind of the writing process that went into it. Um, I knew I needed, I needed that, you know, like ticking clock of, um, the week, uh, I, I trying to talk about this without spoilers, but when mm. Mary Alice's sister shows up on her doorstep, she says that you have a week to make a decision. And I needed that decision to, I needed the stakes of those, that decision to be really high. And I knew that Mary Alice was going to be this prickly kind of mean, nasty woman. And, <laughs> I needed to soften her. And the only way to do that was to sort of explain not just her past in pretty lengthy flashbacks, but everyone else's. Um, Everyone else in her family, at least. So it was all, the flashbacks came by necessity. I couldn't, I couldn't make Mary Alice a character you could empathize with or care for at all um, without showing kind of something nearing the like totality of her past. So, mm. but I didn't also want to tell it in a linear way. I wanted it to be set in the present, you know, like I, I wanted it to be contemporary. I, I, I personally like flashbacks and novels, you know, learning, learning about people's histories in that sort of like drip, drip manner. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that was just, it's, it's a structure that I like, but it's also a structure that I needed if I was going to tell the story, you know, effectively. Yeah. Well, as you said, you'd originally written it as a screenplay. Mm-hmm. Can you name any precedents or like films that might have influenced the uh, kind of the, I don't know, the portrait of this town and then kind of the story? Were you imagining, were you watching any films at the time kind of gl- to glean inspiration in that respect? I wasn't, I can't name any movies that it reminds me of. Well, that's, I, it's kind of, I'm going to answer, I guess I'm going to answer your question like kind of in a roundabout way. I listened okay. to a lot of movie scores mm. and I was, it was very easy for me to visualize this place. Um, not just because it's a place that I grew up in. I was basing it on a real place that I can like access in my memories like pretty easily. But like there was, there's a, there's a tone to it, I guess, more so than like a direct movies that I was listening to. Like, mm-hmm. um, just like kind of melancholy music and kind of like wistful songwriters. You know, I was, this is, this is so stupid. I was listening to a lot of like Mary Chapin Carpenter who writes about small towns and this like very like Mm -hmm. beautiful and very, um, uh, I don't know, robust way, like vivid way. Mm -hmm. And I just found that kind of music about small towns to be really inspirational to me when I was forming this one, because I didn't really need to reference a movie or a book because I had the reference. It was my, it was my childhood. It was my real life. It was my like family history. So it was more like it was, it was the tone setting of, of really music that, that helped me kind of really, really put it on the page. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So just walk us through 
like your best writing day um <laughs> you know kind of when you're getting into the flow and, yeah. and obviously you're you're on a deadline so so you have to have either set yourself a word count or yep. you know how how were you how were you chugging through this and you know what and also how many words was the first uh pass the first pass was oh it was around it was maybe a little longer than this one it was over 80,000 it wasn't 90,000 mm-hmm. i feel like it was maybe like 84,000 words okay and i think we ended up around like 83 um oh. but a lot of it a lot of it changed um stuff was cut moved around added you know what actually no i think it was shorter i think it was like 81 hmm. and then it got longer and then it got shorter but i think it was shorter because that was one of the um i, I just wish i knew them off the top of my head that was one of the um i knew i wanted eighty thousand words i knew that I, mm-hmm. that was the the length of the novel that like the novels that i i like that uh i felt like i could use as a sort of template i was like these Mm -hmm. are these novels that i like that can tell this type of story effectively that's a good word count for me that seems very easy um but i remember i added a lot my my editor fortunately didn't ask for many if any like real chapters to be cut she asked for sort of scenes of chapters to be cut but for the most part she just wanted more which i appreciated and i was happy to do because if anything like you know i i could have kept going here it was kind of hard to stop, but again, I I had that number, so I was like, I'm happy reaching this number. I don't need to go any further. I'll let you know someone external tell me whether or not it needs a lot more. And she said it needed a little more, so I gave it. But you know, and in terms of word count, my best writing day, I write best in the afternoons. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. that productive in the evenings or in the mornings. As much as I love mornings, I am a morning person. I'm not a good writer in the mornings. Hmm. Um, not fiction, at least maybe when I was blogging, when I was actually, you know, writing for Jezebel and, Mm -hmm. and doing any sorts of like that kind of journalism, I was more effective kind of just because I had to, because there was more of like a fire under there in terms of like my boss and editor. Sure. But when it comes to fiction, I'm more productive, you know, after I've settled into the day, had my coffee, had lunch, and I'm like kind of all already still like at, at the peak of the day. And in terms of word count, I would set a weekly word count for myself. I had a weekly word count for myself because daily word counts like never quite worked for me because mm. some days I'd mm-hmm. some days I wouldn't be able to hit it and I was very disappointed in myself and it kind of ruined me for the next day. And so I realized a workaround was making a weekly word count because I could kind of ebb and flow um, and have ups and downs throughout the week. But if I made it to that number, by Sunday night, I was happy. Um, and I started, I was a Monday through Sunday. It was how I thought of my week. Um, hmm. So that that was the best. And I guess if my my best writing day would be a, a really good Sunday when I was at the end of my little weekly cycle and mm-hmm. I exceeded what I wanted. I exceeded my expectations. That was the best, like a Sunday afternoon. And how would you, uh, how would you celebrate? <laughs> I always, I mean, I'm a big, I, I love to cook. And so I just like, oh, I'd go into making my big Sunday dinner a little happier. You know, I'd feel very satisfied and it, and cooking is one of my favorite things to do. So, you know, I'd, I'd cook and I'd feel extra good while I was cooking. Well, congratulations on the reception of the book. Um, I'm very much looking forward to um, whatever the future holds. Are you thinking about another novel? Are you thinking about um, just uh, really focusing on promoting this one? 
Um, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on both. Um, I, I really am. I've, I've, I've got some, I've, I'm writing, I'm working on something now. And, you know, the more I think about it, maybe I'd like to, at some point, you know, revisit the town of Billington in the future. Um, mm. It's not something that I ever really consider, but I love, there are so many good um, series of novels by authors who create these fictional towns and, you know, show us all these stories from within that town. And I never considered myself doing that with the old place until it was finished. And I kind of, you know, you, you read it a hundred times and then at some point it kind of clicked that like, you know what, maybe I do kind of want to go a little harder into some of these side characters. I, hmm. I, I know them so well at this point. It seems, it seems very, um, seems very doable and it seems like it would be very satisfying, but yeah, I'm just, you know, working on the next one. Cool. Um, if you could fantasy cast <laughs> the, uh, the main characters of your, now is, has Hollywood come knocking at all? Have you? Got- oh no, no, okay. no. All right. Um, <laughs> if I could fantasy cast the, them, the film version, the adaptation. You know, uh, an actress who I really like and gets that sort of like she's a little too old for it. But again, it's a, you said a fantasy. Yeah. Um, the actor Mary Kay Place hmm. as Mary Alice, I think, is so. She's so emotive in her face and she kind of, she can be, she's so great because she can be a, a softy and she can be a huge hard ass. And, <laughs> and I think that that's such a good, it, it, there's a very delicate um, line there. And I think that she's just, I love that she can do both hmm. and that she's got that sort of quiet demeanor that could either mean she's a sweetheart who's just being polite or she's mean and keeping her nasty thoughts to herself. Um <laughs> Yeah, I think that's I think that's my that's I think the only one I can answer definitively. Mm-hmm. Mary Alice as Mary Kay Place. <laughs> I can see that for sure, for sure. Um, well, of course, I will point at your uh, book, uh, The Old Place, and I will point at your Twitter, Bobby Finger, um, and of course, I will point at Who Weekly, a podcast, <laughs> your home base. There is uh, Who Weekly dot us, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk just briefly. I mean, because so this podcast has had some runaway success itself. It's been a uh, featured podcast app on Apple Podcasts uh, recently mm-hmm. this summer, um, and you have a, a new show. It's like a spinoff, right on on a Spotify channel. Yeah, that's it's it's it, it's probably just going to be temporary, but it's um it's a it's sort of another chat show. It's kind of a live. Spotify's trying their hand at like you know live sort of radio-like shows, and they mm-hmm. really like our show. They like our our demeanor, mine yeah. and Lindsay's, and they said, oh, would you be willing to talk about... I know you talk about TV sometimes. What about... It's not criticism by any means. We're not qualified to do that. It's not recapping. It's just sort of like, you know, shooting the breeze around the water cooler talking about what you watched that week, and it's called Who's Watching? And mm-hmm. we're going to do it every Wednesday afternoon just for an hour, and it's just cool. kind of gabbing about stuff that we watch, old stuff, new stuff, you know, things that people are watching now. And it, it, I think it's going to be fun. Oh my gosh. Well, I did listen to the last episode of Who Weekly and was just <laughs> laughing uh, hysterically at the candy corn song. Uh, listeners, the check, candy corn you got to check this this out. It's so weird. <laughs> um, but very funny. And you and your demeanor is amazing. Um, what What's a reading day like for you? Like, how do you, how, how, when you're putting together an episode of Who Weekly, like, what, what are you reading? Is it mostly internet stuff? Are you I mean, because print magazines seem like in that in that genre just seem like so outdated by the time you get them, right? Yeah, it is. Sometimes, like you don't you don't read. We we subscribe to uh, we both 
subscribe to Apple News because it's the easiest way to get the tabloids just digitally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's just a fire hose, right? We're uh, yeah, we're obviously reading everything <laughs> online on Twitter, like all of those websites, all the celebrity blogs. Obviously, that's easy. That's twenty four seven. It never turns off. But like the print stuff is interesting because it's it may not be up to date. It may be like a week behind, five days behind. Mm-hmm. But the the perspectives are always sort of interesting. Like you always sense like a bit more of um a voice in mm-hmm. those, and like like they have ulterior motives. You know, like most recently, you'll notice that in print coverage of Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie's sort of nasty divorce, these magazines really do pick sides. And um, mm. that's kind of fun mm-hmm. to see. But it's not There's necessarily about involved. like... Yeah. yeah, exactly. The politics that are involved in print are are kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, kudos and congrats on all of your successes. The book, one last time, is The Old Place. It is a beautiful cover. Yeah, we wish you the best of luck. Come back again and wrap with us in the future. I will. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm. Thank you so much. All right, Bobby. Hey, um, you should have been, I think, a uh, mystery writer or a gangster with that name, Bobby. I kind of, I, for, at first I thought it was Bobby Fingers, like this guy. Bobby this Fingers. People always think that it sounds like I'm in The Sopranos. Yeah, yeah. Bobby Fingers. <laughs> He's going to cut you. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to let you go, but uh, appreciate okay. you and we'll, we'll talk very soon.